Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Hey, Disciple Makers, we got a pretty interesting broadcast today, and I'm excited that you're with us. And we do want to take a moment to say thank you to the cooperative program that does help make this broadcast happen so that we can come to you every other week with a a different leader in discipleship, kind of bring different ideas. Uh, But today's guest um, basically is the originator of all those things I just said. So I have a description for you, uh, Bill, here that I'm supposed to introduce you as, but I just feel like you might be the guy that wants to introduce himself a little bit in light of the book you just released. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and um, maybe something our audience may not know about you. My name is Bill Hall and I'm taller than most people. (laughs) Hi, Um, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm uh, from Indiana. Um, uh, I guess the best way to describe me is that I was a basketball player many, many years ago uh, in college, became a Christian then, uh, picked up this book, a friend, this is the actual book that was given to me in 1967 by the campus chaplain at Oral Roberts University. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. He's 93 years young now. And I read this book and another person uh, who had been with the Navigators was on campus. They started discipling me and the basic foundation of what it means to be developed as a follower of Jesus was part of my life from the very beginning. As a result, I... I've always just practiced these things. Yeah. Uh, when I became a pastor, I said, how does this work in the local church? Because people told me it doesn't work in the local church. You can't make disciples in the local church. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> this is what the Bible says we're supposed to be doing. And you, I'm at a church and I just, I'm just taking the job here as the pastor. And you're telling me that I can't do what God, Jesus told me to do, that I got to do something else called be a pastor. Come on. Yeah, come on. So we, uh, so I worked through that, uh, began to write books about it, uh, pastored for 20 years, then trained pastors uh, for the rest of the time. And it's been a nice, wonderful experience of what I call the great unfolding, <laughs> of just the unfolding of what God is doing uh, in, in and through me and the people around me. And of course, uh, overall in his, among his people around the world. So 
I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, that's that's no, that's great. Hello. So, yeah, hello. Yeah, we have to say hello. And and for those of you that um, I have not met, my name is PJ Dunn, and so I am a discipleship catalyst in the North Region here in Georgia. I get to serve pastors every day and help them move the needle on discipleship. Um, and so uh, Bill, Bill's going to be humble. He said something about writing a few books, but really he's a prolific writer of discipleship materials. And if you just Google his name uh, within just a couple of seconds, you're going to find that you can fill up a shelf uh, with his books and and just dive in. And And Bill is a deep thinker. Um, he, he is a guy that definitely dives into a topic, but explores all the different sides of it. So if you're one that really likes to to maybe go more than just a surface level, we should be friends in discipleship, but really look into what discipleship is. Um, Bill, Bill's definitely your man. So let, let's start this broadcast with just a couple of stats. So um, just did a couple of quick searches and and we've heard stats, you know, and I, you've been doing this for a long time, Bill, but, you know, when, when we hear things like 65% of pastors are satisfied with discipleship in their churches, they're satisfied with it. They think spiritual formation is going well. Um, and if they're asked, you know, like, what are some growing attributes of growing disciples? The, when they ranked that, they put Bible engagement as number one, but relationships as number seven. And I thought that was an interesting, like, I, we need to be in the word, right? We know, we know these taglines that we say in discipleship and pastors know that too. Um, but we put relationships as number, number seven. And one, one thing about our tribe that's watching here today in Georgia um, we have a lot of bivocational pastors and single staff pastors that makes up the primary part of our 3,100 churches that we have here in Georgia. And so when you, when you see them ranking relationships so low, uh, in light of reading, I just wonder what the difference is there. And I'm going to park it there for a second and ask you an unprompted question. Why do you think that when asked, uh, what are growing attributes that maybe there's that dichotomy difference there? One can't know for sure what's in the mind of a pastor, but I would say part of it, well, actually, I would say relationships is the reason that they hold that, that order. In other words, what really influences people are relationships. I mean, after all, isn't the Christian faith about a relationship with God? So that's, at the root of everything, you know, is incarnation is what I call deity for dummies. <laughs> uh, you know, you can't really understand these grand concepts of how uh, a God who could create all of this could somehow relate to us. And you could try to write it out on a piece of paper. You could try to give a really good talk about it. You could hold seven church councils over 300 years and try to figure out who Jesus was. But deity for dummies is, ladies and gentlemen, here I am, Jesus of Nazareth. This is what God is like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, to me, that's the, the beauty of it all. But I think the difference between one and seven is, is training also, uh, influence. So who is the, who are telling pastors this? Well, the, the professors, the people who have the most formative influence on young men and women are the the faculty at the training schools where they go to when they're young we go to these schools uh people reflect back and they say well it was dr so-and-so or this professor i had and he really impacted me and he gave me this information and and he really uh, influenced me and so 
and what what is it about that person? Well, that person was a scholar. That person was a thinker. That person was a philosopher. And what was it that that person was short on? Uh, practical experience in local churches, usually. Mm-hmm. But then, uh, you know, I remember, uh, so he's number, that's number one. And number seven are relationships. Then two through six must be things like worship and evangelism and uh, other stuff. Okay. All right. That's part of the institutionalization of Christian faith, too. That we, you know, when some people talk about discipleship, they talk about the metrics they use are about success of the institution rather than the transformation of a person. And so you have to sort of ask your question, what is our product? What is it we're trying to produce here at First Baptist? And Bonhoeffer, you know, when he led that illegal seminary of the Confessing Church in Germany, what he was doing was he had two books that came out of that, essentially, of that very brief period. But the first was his famous book, The Cost of Discipleship. The second was this little book called Life Together. And the Life Together book was about 23 men that he had in this school, and they lived life together and about the power of those relationships. So I think if you if you, uh, we can talk more about this in a minute, but um, one of the things that you have to, have to do is if you say we're going to make disciples and the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is you're going to have to have a lot of new disciples. And you're going to have to have many new disciples. And I think the question that the pastor has to really ask is, do we have any new disciples around here? And if we don't, why not? Yeah. Well, and you, you just bring up a great point <clears throat> about how we're taught and then how we model. So if we are taught this idea that knowledge is power, which certainly it does, it does enable you, right? Like we, it we is, yeah, understand that, right. And so we want to read, we want to be a literate. We are a literate society. Not all societies have been literate in the history, you know, more have not been than have been. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, where we find ourselves is that that relationship factor moved itself down on that chart. Whereas a thousand years ago, the relationship would have been a lot higher. My relationship with my teacher, my relationship with an influencer in my life that influenced me to become a disciple. So, so it is a product of our, our, our literacy that we are a more literate society. Um, but man, that is just a, a really good um, example of like tying it into Bonhoeffer and also tying it into discipleship. You use the word influence. And I, and I had a, uh, a person tell me once I was working at a church and you know, I was young and just frustrated. Why don't people do as I say? Like, if they just do what I said, like, we would be okay, you know? And and I don't know if you're an Enneagram person, we're not going to go down there, but I'm an Enneagram one. So everything has to be structured and perfect and ready to go. And so, like, I, I'm like, okay, if you just do this, it'll work out. And then they don't do it. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us, right? He's just saying, like, I gave you the roadmap. Like, please just do it. And that tension, that frustration is where you become more of a follower of Christ, you become refined in that discipleship because you realize this is what Jesus is to us. He's saying, just follow, like, this is what it is, but I'm going to love you and we're going to influence you there. Well, influence is relational, you know, shouting at somebody is just words. It's just knowledge. And so it's extremely hard. Um, In fact, uh, one author put it this way. He said that um, love is inefficient, but highly effective. 
And that aspect of discipleship really does take so much more time that we don't want to slow down to do it. And, and, and I want to, I want to go into Bonhoeffer because I do have, I have my book. All right. So like, oh, yeah, like, uh, like many people watching, um, you know, we, we, we have in our tribe of discipleship, you say Bonhoeffer and people are like, Oh yeah, I know these quotes, right. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You know, they get real excited. And, um, and even you talk about some of the origin of those quotes and where they come from. I also have Eric, Eric's book on it, you know? And so, you know, like it's just, there's been a lot of study, but, but you've done extensive study on this. And so I guess what I'm asking is where do we miss the mark in discipleship in light of those stats in light of the relational side of it? um, And then looking at uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's life and your research, like, you know, how are we missing the mark on disciple making? A couple of things come to mind. Uh, the, The German word, uh, for discipleship is don't I'm not going to pro- try to pronounce it because it's one of those where I'll get the screen all wet but it means succession and and I think that in that in the book in the German in the German language is just that one word it's not the cost of discipleship because that's what the with the English did with the book, as we retitled it. But succession. So first of all, inherent in being a disciple is other disciples. And if there's something fundamentally wrong, if there's not succession. And so the pastor is sitting, the lead pastor of a church. If, if, you have to ask yourself this question, am I an active disciple of Jesus or do I just have a religious job? And if I didn't, if I wasn't being paid and I didn't work over there at the church, would I go to church? Uh, Would I pay any attention? Would I be involved? And would I, you know, uh, would I, would there be any succession in my life? In other words, would I be fruitful? Uh, is it real? Because oftentimes we, the reason we're looking for a program is, is in order to uh, free ourselves of the burden of knowing we need to do something, but we really don't want to do it ourselves because we'd re- we prefer to do something else that's less dangerous, not as messy, and where I get more accolades, like preach. So then um, I think that's, uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is Bonhoeffer was very young. You know, he died at 39. So a lot of what he's famous for happened in his 20s. And what he did was he, he, he recognized the problem, which was, the, uh, the Nazi doctrine and what it was doing to the church and it, well, what it was doing was taking away the freedom that the church had to preach the gospel without being told by the state what to say. And so to him, that was fundamentally uh, discipleship, which, which was following Christ into that breach between the, the Jewish people and the oppressor, and that if the church did not step into that breach, it, we weren't being disciples. 
And so he said, uh, not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And I think that that's, to me, uh, the second thing about leadership now is in our culture, in our time, you know, people in Ukraine right now are, the church is, they're having to step up in ways that they, they're more accustomed to than we are. But what are the ways in which we are to step up? What are the ways in which we stand in the breach? Uh, what are some of the things that we have to have the courage to say and do? And that, that led to my, you know, my book, No Longer a Bystander, was I said, I don't want to any longer be a bystander uh, because of what I see swirling around me. And I think also, um, yeah, if people want to hear more about what I'm writing these days, uh, you can go to billhall.substack.com and there you can find my weekly column. Yeah, and you and I think a lot of those columns ended up in this in this book, you know, the recent book. And also it's it's a sassy cover, you know. Oh like, yeah, that's a 2020 uh that's a 2020 uh, version of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so, so that's actually that just came out, but uh yeah, those are columns that I wrote. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's um it's just really, you know, um fascinating because, you know, when I'm reading your book and and this is this is why I love doing this broadcast. Um, and I want, um, if you're watching today, go ahead and write in the comments there, share this with somebody you're entered to win some free swag. We love giving out swag bill. And so like, swag, we love, all right, yeah, I swag. mean, who doesn't love swag? And so we give away some swag and, and, um, and so go ahead and write some things in there. But when I was reading it, I was thinking like, man, you know, I had not met you right before we did this interview, but so you kind of envision who an author is before you meet mm -hmm. them. And, and so there's, there's, you create a character. And so in my head, it was like you were almost mimicking the life of Bonhoeffer. And this was the moment like this was the moment in his life when he stood up and and he stood his ground and he said, they, I felt like this was that moment for you almost where it's like, man, I've I've seen that in his life. And now I want to be the person who stands up in this moment and says some of these things. I think you said on another podcast, I hope I get canceled, you know, culture, because I'll now be doing it right. And so yeah. like there's there's some truth to that. But I also think there's correlation um, between those two. Do you feel that way? Do you see that? Yeah, somewhat. Yes. I, I don't want to be, you know, what I really don't want to do is get caught uh, arguing with people about uh, trying to explain the Trinity to people or something. And uh, while the world passes me by and all of these needs are unmet, and here I am over here discussing some fine point of theology that yeah that uh, is not particularly relevant to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, okay. So one of the things that, that you're um, very known for is this discipleship gospel, that phrase, you yeah. know, like, uh, you know, for me um, being relatively new to all of this, right. Going through school and reading and going through all these different authors. Uh, when I hear the discipleship, go uh, uh, discipleship gospel, there we go. Oh, it's just, it overtook me there for a minute. Sorry about that. That was like a Holy spirit. Okay. And so, um, <laughs> and so when I hear that, I hear your name. And so uh -huh. I want you to define that. I know you do that like 10 times a day and twice on Sunday, maybe three times, but if you could take just a, a quick snippet and, and let our audience know what is the discipleship gospel. All right. Well, we have a book, uh, Ben Sobels and I about that. 
Yes, there you go, man. There you go. I just I told you I had all the books ready today. I was Who ready needs to an agent when I have the Holy Spirit and PJ? Yeah. <laughs> so the the um, the discipleship gospel. Well, for let me just a preface to that. Uh, the Bonhoeffer Project was started because uh, we believe that the gospel you believe in determines the disciple you make. So if you have a gospel that's a forgiveness-only gospel, and who isn't for forgiveness? Who doesn't want eternal life? I mean, that's fundamentally, here are we kidding here? We got, we're all going to die. We all have the death problem. Uh, this is the message about the death problem. All right. So the so eternal life and forgiveness of sin and, and being reacquainted with God, reconciliation it's called, this is really fundamental. But if that's all it is, which sometimes, unfortunately, that's how it's presented, that's all there is, then you think that's the finish line rather than the starting line. So what we started talking about and I have to give Dallas Willard a shout out on this because he was the person who introduced me to the idea many years ago. And that was that if you, you can talk about making disciples all you want, but uh, if, if your gospel is a forgiveness only gospel, you're going to get a forgiveness only disciple. And if you have a consumer gospel, you're going to get a consumer disciple. And one thing, if Jesus lived for others and, and the, and the consumer gospel and the forgiveness only gospel is about me, then there's really no way you can get from point A to point B. There's no way you can get from that gospel to being Christ-like. Now, that's a problem, my friends. That's a really serious problem. So the way you solve that problem is you get your gospel in alignment with what a disciple is and with what your plan is. And so the, I decided, well, I got, I just want to get a group of people around me, leaders. So we turn leaders into disciple makers. So how do we do that? The way we do it, we get them around a table for a year and whatever's in my mind and heart, I'm going to try to dump it on these people and help them work out a plan for their lives and for their congregations and so on. And that's what we did. And then it grew and multiplied and now it's international and around the world. So, uh, and then I, I was able to then do a 2 Timothy 2.2 and hand it over to Dan Lights, who uh, is the new uh, leader of the, of the Bonhoeffer Project. So that, that's the, so the gospel you, now here's what the discipleship gospel is to answer your question. Discipleship gospel, uh, I, I give uh, Scott McKnight some credit for this. I also, Matthew Bates, who is a, unassuming uh, PhD from University of Notre Dame. It teaches at a Catholic college called Quincy University in Quincy, Illinois, uh, that uh, these guys have provided some really uh, deep scholarship on this issue. But what essentially we're saying is, you, first you have the gospel declaration, declaration. So there's really nothing, we're not tinkering with the fundamentals. You know, the Jesus was born, he lived, he was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, he ascended, he'll return. Okay, that's the fundamentals. That's the declaration of the gospel, the good news. But it's not good news if you can't respond. If it's just a, a information, 
that, oh, this is the state of being, this is the state of the world, but there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, that's not good news. The good news is the gospel response. The gospel response we take from Mark chapter 1, which Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. And he says, repent of your sins, believe the good news, and follow me. Okay, so that's the gospel response, which I think is part of the gospel. Part of the good news is that you can respond to it. So you have the declaration and you have the response. Response, repent, believe, follow. All right. And then you have the gospel benefits. You have reconciliation. You have forgiveness. You have justification. You have a new birth. You have... Uh, Help me out. There's a few others like that. There's a whole list of, of um, adoption of sons and daughters and so on. Everything you read in scripture, you know, you, uh, about it, we're ambassadors of Christ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's all there, all the benefits. So you have the declaration, you have the response, you have the benefits. To me, that's the gospel, the discipleship gospel, because the discipleship gospel means this that being saved is a, that discipleship is a natural part of what it means to be saved. That when God saved us, he also called us. And everybody who's called to salvation is called to discipleship, no exceptions, no excuses. So you see a statement like that covers, you can recover that reform theology, you can get the reformers in there, you can get the Wesleyans in there, you can get everybody fits in there, you know. All who are called big to bus, salvation, yeah. whatever that means to you, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, that are also called to discipleship, no exceptions, yeah. no excuses. Well, and and so um, this discipleship gospel, of course, shameless plug again, but yeah. you can you can download that, but you can go and learn more about the Bonhoeffer Project. And huge shout out to Kenny Sexton. So Kenny Sexton is a pastor um, down in South Georgia. If you can spell the name of the town in the chat, we'll give you bonus um, entries into some swag. Um, but Kenny is, um, it's just doing an amazing job. And so, you know, he's really broken down, like, tell me more about this Bonhoeffer project thing, you know? And, and he's like, well, we spend a lot of time in the headwaters, you know? And so the more he tells me, the more he, well, that's, that's what we're talking about in this broadcast. So if it sounds like it's a lot, it is a lot. And y'all really park it there because you can't move forward. You can't attack anything until you really define that for yourself. And, and we kind of take it for granted, especially in, in Baptist life, you know, um, accept, believe, commit, you know, like whatever the thing is that you're using, like we just say, well, that the gospel, right. And then we just kind of move on. So to actually sit in that definition, like we were in a staff meeting one day at a church and, and, uh, and one, one, one guy goes, well, define the gospel. You know, and one guy says something and goes, well, is that all of it? And it was like, we were offended. Like you have taught, you have considered me a heretic. Like, what do you mean my version of the gospel? I mean, do you run into that where people almost get offended because you're asking them to define the gospel a little bit more? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing we know for sure, after uh, having thousands of people go through the Bonhoeffer project, one of the things we learn is that people are going to be upset uh, and you have to be careful because we're not saying to them, oh, oh, by the way, what's been preached here for the last 100 years, forget it. We messed up. Sorry about that. Uncle Fred and Aunt Elma, you know, they're, you know, not sure where they are right now. Now, you can't do that. Uh, what, what I think you do is you don't 
you don't uh, you appreciate what you know. We're all products of our time. It's like appreciating Billy Graham. You know, we appreciate what Billy Graham did, and uh, he was our front man for a very long time. Uh, what you heard on television, uh, you know, the five steps to peace with God, I think it was his booklet. And then Campus Crusade had the four spiritual laws and the navigators had the bridge. Okay. So now, and now I know there's other ones that have come along and it's, it's a formula. It's an extract. But what happened is you, they took the gospel and they flipped it on its head and had this thing called the plan of salvation. And it was a way, it was made for television kind of gospel. And then everybody started thinking, oh, that's the gospel then. Just give the four laws. Like the guy that took me out to, for a spaghetti lunch once. And I was preaching through the book of Romans, verse by verse, you know, like a year to get through the book of Romans on Sunday. He says, Bill, I'm leaving the church. I said, why? You know, you want to ruin your lunch? You know, take somebody to take a pastor to lunch, let him start eating, and then tell him you're leaving the church. Don't do that. That's just not, don't have his family over and say, oh, I'd like to tell you what you're doing wrong. You know, no, don't do that either. You know, don't include food or anything pleasant if you're going to have bad news. So here's the thing. So he says, well, we're leaving the church, Bill. And, and I said, why? He says, because you're not preaching the gospel. Now, that's pretty insulting. You know, when you, someone says you're not preaching the gospel. But he says, and I said, well, wait a minute, I'm doing the book of Romans. And he said, no, what, what I'm saying is you're not giving people a chance to get saved at the end of the service. Now, to him, that was preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what you have to overcome is it's deeply driven into us that the gospel is this little formula versus what uh, the church leaders and the founders of the church thought that the gospel were the gospels, the whole story, yeah. from Genesis to Revelation, uh, everything from the fall to restoration and the eternal state. That's all the good news. And uh, that's why it says up here, I have a little, uh, that's like a pretty big size that used to, they used to put up these really big uh, ordination certificates. And I got one on my wall and it just says, that I, I've been uh, approved to preach the gospel. Well, I've been preaching for 50 years, just about. And I've just, there's a lot that I haven't talked about yet. So it's all, it's so much. Yeah. So when you start talking about all this stuff, you know, you have to understand that people are going to say, the main number one thing they're going to say about it is, oh, this is works. And, and we're at, we have to, we have to make sure we understand that this is, we're not talking about works here as a means of salvation. We're saying that if you're truly saved, there will be evidence that you are. That's okay. really all we're saying. That's, I thought what James, you know, in, the, in his book said. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and I sure hope that our, the gospel we preach isn't measured by the sheet of paper because mine is an eight and a half by 11 by lifeway yeah. that I was given, you know, now I do have a bunch of signatures on mine. So that's yeah. kind of cool. But, uh, but I feel like yours is bigger and that's probably just appropriate. You've written more books. So we'll just, we'll yeah. Just yeah. Plus yeah. actually some of the signatures have faded to where you can't read them anymore. They, they didn't, they didn't run the extra mile, right. When no, they, they were they signing. And so, yeah. So they faded. Uh, and, and I think they're all, all with the Lord now. Everybody signed my 
Well, well, let's I want to I want to dig into the, um, you know, you're a self-professed um, um, evangelism and discipleship guy. They go hand in hand. And we talk about that being um, court. I mean, you can't have one without the other and you can't have missions without any of this. Right. We know it's all connected. And in the state of Georgia, we have an evangelism consultant, a missions consultant and a discipleship consultant in our regions to help you do those. And that's just the like really like a trinity there it is kind of like well we don't you know okay all right yeah I'll, i could probably make a few jokes there but keith yeah, ivy yeah. definitely finishes the training so we um we we do we try to dig into it but none of us feel like we're on a different team so we have the uh the church strengthening team so none of those things are isolated because they can't be and you certainly feel that way another plug for a book so um oh yeah there, that's that's maybe the most important book i've read I think you want to talk about this, and this seems like a really good place to talk about it. So tell me, tell me a little bit why, why people describe you that way, as an evangelist and a discipleship. Oh, a discipleship evangelist. Okay. Yeah, discipleship evangelist. There we go. Well, I think a discipleship evangelist is a person who's dedicated their life to uh, evangelizing the church to make disciples and follow Jesus. It sounds like a really stupid, unnecessary job. <laughs> uh, shouldn't that be what everybody's doing? Uh, I think that uh, the reason is, is that when we're told to make disciples uh, in Matthew 28, that the goal is not conversion. The goal is multiplication. So they, uh, you know, conversion and discipleship, you can't have one without the other. So they're the same, they come together. Uh, and that's what I said earlier, you know, that, that when God saves us, he also calls us, it's one thing, not two things, not separate things. And I understand that in an organization, you might have somebody who concentrates on evangelism, person that concentrates on global missions and a person who concentrates on spiritual formation or whatever. Uh, okay. Um, but I like the concept of church strengthening team because you realize you're, you're all talking about the development of people. And to, so there are, we know that in the Great Commission that it says baptizing them. So obviously you're bringing people in that are new. So you have, you are in the, you are in the process of doing evangelism. If we could just convince everybody that all the use of gifts and so on, and and all the work of the church is is actually lead, that part of discipling people, making disciples, is is bringing them along bit by bit to conversion, and then then there's also continued development of the Christian, and that's all the work of the church. That's the church is for discipleship, and then disciples are God's gift to the world. So if we're going to, if we stop with just trying to get people baptized, then we're not going to have a very good product because maybe a few percentage, a small percentage of these people will move ahead. And but if discipleship becomes optional, a lot of people are going to opt out, hmm. and hmm. because it's not necessary. So then. We develop these people so that they become reproducers, so that when they say, do we have, they have to have many disciples in order to reach every ethnic group, 
every nation. You got to have many disciples, and you got to have many multiply uh, uh, mature disciples, and then they have to be multiplying disciples. So the goal is to bring people to that level rather than and helping them see that that you may be only fifteen percent of the congregation are going to become people that are like the clergy. Mm. And thankfully, that's true, because the clergy is, uh, you know, the people who are readers and writers and communicators and talkers, the people who do apologetics and like to do uh, verbal evangelism and all that stuff. Okay, there's a certain element in your church that's going to do that. And then the vast majority aren't. Okay, so the you got to find a, a space for them. And, you know, Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts in the body of Christ is this great symphony. I mean, that's really what you, we have to convince people of. And, a, you know, helping your guy move a couch next door or whatever it is, is part of making disciples. Now, it's not by itself sufficient, but it's part of it. <laughs> and if we can help people see that what they do every day with the time they have, that the secular and the sacred are like these two things and they merge into one, mm-hmm. you know? So God's not really asking you for more time. He's just asking you to transform your time into his purpose and use yeah. it for his purpose. Yeah. yeah. And going on mission, you know, being evangelistic, like those are right. things that we're going to do and, and, and we should be doing, but it needs to be interwoven and discipleship is often this, this thing that we're like, okay, I do that for an hour on Sundays, or I do that on Wednesday nights, I do that on Sunday nights, and it's not who the person is. And, and I kind of want to share a story about like, my, my journey of becoming a disciple maker and, and trying to even like wrap around that term. And then I'm going to ask you the same. But, you know, for, for me, I was, um, I would say I was highly unrelational growing up. Um, and I was very, it was kind of like binary, right? You share the gospel, someone gets saved, they gets baptized, have a good day. And so being evangelistic for me in the early part of my ministry, you know, being in the local church for over 15 years, um, you know, I would say that I was just like, let's do this. Let's hit the baptism number. Like I was that, I was that guy. And so, yeah. so even in seminary, right, Bill, they, they, it's like, Hey, you need to share and uh, you need three converts by the end of the semester to get an A. And you're like, Oh my gosh, well, I want to get an A. <laughs> so I need to go like, now I remember sharing um, the gospel with somebody I was working at Sam's club and, and she said, um, I just feel like there's a, there's a hole in my heart and nothing can fill it. And I'm like, oh, I know the answer. Like I did that. We studied this in class. It's yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And so I give her Jesus. I share the gospel. It's this great presentation and she gets done and she goes, yeah, I just, I miss my boyfriend. He's in jail and I haven't seen him in a while. Like she didn't yeah. hear a word I said. Right. And, and so I had been taught if I say those words at that moment with somebody there, like they're going to pray to receive Christ, like right there in Sam's by where you get your pizza for a dollar. And we're just going to like break out into a gospel choir. Well, that didn't happen. And my, my paradigm shifted and it was like, well, this isn't working. What's not working. So then this idea of becoming a friend and being a first John four and being God's love to other people, like really infused my life. We, we, we had a, a class and I did a study on that. And I thought that's what I'm missing. Like, I'm not thinking about how to love somebody else. And so it wasn't like one book or one thing, but it's just God started to change. Like, hey, PJ, I want you to be a good friend. Like, what does it mean to be a good friend? And that's another way of restating discipleship to a great extent, right? We still need this knowledge. We still need the gospel. We need these things. You can't just be a friend because you can be friendly and completely miss the gospel. But, you know, in the last 10 years, um, I, I can see more fruit of those that have been around 
or have invested in me because I've opened myself up more to hurt, opened myself up more to, to loving others and allowing that to, to penetrate and refine me as a follower of Christ, but also seeing people do the same. And so for me, it's become more relational over time uh, as we, as I kind of grow in that journey. Um, and the other part of that is like when, when um, Caleb is his name. So Caleb came to D now uh, last year in the middle of COVID two years ago, in the middle of COVID is terrible. And he's the only person that came to Christ at this D now. And I'm his counselor in the back. And I can't help but think of him as a human and his life. And I hear his story and he's pouring his heart out and he is just, he just wants a trusted adult to guide him. Right. And so I say, Hey, Caleb, it may not, your consequences of your actions won't change tomorrow. Like you're going to have to live with some of the stuff that you've, that you've done, but that doesn't mean you're not changeable. That doesn't mean you can't be more like Jesus, but you're going to need to give it some time. You're going to have to invest in this. I promise it'll get better. And now Caleb is serving at a Christian camp this summer and is doing discipleship with middle school kids. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because like, I went home burdened for Caleb. When I had people come to Christ early on, when I was doing this, I wasn't burdened, Bill. Like I'd go home and it'd just be a normal day. And I'd be like one more in heaven and move on. But now I can't not think about Caleb often because I know that he's going to be in heaven and that he's being invested. So, you know, that's a little bit of my journey um, in disciple making. So I know you said Robert Coleman, Dallas Willard, you know, those kind of guys have influenced you. So what's your kind of scope been? How has that unfolded in your life? Well, you mean with respect to uh, what I, uh, what makes me feel like, oh, I had a good day or? Like, yeah, kind of like, you know, so when we say be a disciple maker, yeah. you know, we normally make a list, but I mean, really it's a transformation over a long period of time. So yeah, I right. guess less programmatic, but like, kind of like I once, almost like I was once was dead and now I'm alive, but oh, that okay. journey of disciple, disciple making for you. Well, I think it changes over the years. I mean, I, when I first started out as a young pastor, it was very localized to the people around me. So it was the people I was working with and training them. I mean, I was a hands-on roll up my sleeves, get my hands dirty kind of guy. And so we would actually do the work. Uh, and, and we held groups and I taught people and trained them and met one-on-one -on -one with them and did all that kind of thing and met in small groups. And so my satisfaction was about that. Then uh, as a writer, it became people telling me for good or ill what they thought of my writings. And then it got to be where then the denominational leaders and I'm ordained with the Evangelical Free Church. And so the, the, the free people started noticing. And then I would I get invited to go speak at some meeting. And I did that. And then we developed a training program for all of that. And so my satisfaction or my uh, realm changed from local to more regional, national. Then I... I've taught in over 50 countries of the world. And I remember I, I've been to Ukraine four times. Mm -hmm. And so I've done a lot of that kind of thing in my life. And then the more books I wrote and the more materials I put out and then the organizations I developed, then it becomes to where there are people around the world that I hear from I've never met. There are people in the Bonhoeffer Project that are teaching it that I've never met. There are 
and, and so it got to be where most the most people there's many more people that in have been influenced than I've actually ever met them or talked with them or know them and so it becomes uh it, it and then when you get to a certain age which I think I've reached uh what happens is it all kind of comes back to the normal local stuff again hmm. in other words it, it what becomes more important to you is uh the person in your neighborhood or uh your local church or uh, people you know that are suffering or uh it it it, it all kind of distills back to where you started uh to where my wife and i are reaching out to our neighbors and uh we're focusing on them now a little bit more than we were when we were running an organization and even though we're still busy with all kinds of things that uh, God keeps in our lives, that uh, we we have a little bit more time to think about, you know, uh, family, uh, extended family as well. So that's just uh, kind of where I'm at. Yeah, well, and it and it is there is a different seasons for all those things, and so I love how you kind of broke that down. And you know, pastors that are watching today, bivocational pastors there's just different levels of that. And it's okay to sit in the one that you're at. Like, don't think yeah. that you have to be at a different level. And, and, um, and so we've kind of learned that with what we do at the, the Georgia Baptist convention is just, you know, we pastors are our heroes and, and Georgia is our mission field. And like, that's how we feel. And so we stay very focused here for that, for that reason, but we also have this large impact. You know, I'm talking to people in India and Australia that are watching these broadcasts and saying, Hey, thanks for having that concept on. I had never thought of that. I didn't know about that book. Let me grab that. And so it's kind of cool to see how God's using those efforts um, around the world in ways you didn't expect. And, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll, we got to keep moving because we want to keep it on time here. So let me ask you this question. That's my fault. You're doing great, but like I'm interviewing and I'm going everywhere. So um, let me, um, let me ask you this. You talk um, about journaling um, a little bit and in that on your your journey. And there's two things that come come to mind. Um, one uh, comes from your book. If we begin with proper understanding of discipleship, then we understand sanctification as living out discipleship. And I pulled that quote out because I do think the idea of sanctification is tied into, you know, do you journal and do you reflect and do you process? You know, there's a big part of that. If we don't stop to do those things, are we ever going to be refined? Um, and then I heard you uh, say this on, a, on another podcast. You said, um, are we, uh, you, were, you were actually a professor, I think, at Viola University, Did yeah. I get that right? And so you said, are you treating disciple making as if someone else has to pass the test for what you're learning? And I was, I was like, that's offensive, sir. Like, I'm just concerned. I'm just trying to consume my discipleship. And now you're getting in my business. And, and as a as a perfectionist, like a person that wants to, you know, do well on a test, I'm like, that's terrifying. What do you mean someone else has to take a test for me? Like, I'm going to take the test. I want to be the one that that gets a good grade. And it just exposes that thing inside of you. So I love that question of if somebody else had to take the test for what you're learning, how would they do? And I tie that together with journaling because I take notes when I'm taking attention and I want somebody else to do the same. And so I'm tying those two concepts together, but like how has journaling been a part of your disciple making and maybe speak to that, that quote and maybe sharing that with that, that class. Okay. Well, over the years, I've, you know, I've written things down that I guess you could call it journaling at some point uh, where I've taken a lot of notes and, 
rehash things I've heard and and I still do that. But uh, I think that you mentioned this story about uh, the students. What I used to tell them was a simple thing is that is if, uh, and I, I would you know deadpan it so they would think I was serious. And I would tell them that the final exam would be that they would have somebody else that they've been teaching would come in and take the exam for them and that would be their grade. And of course they're shocked. And then they realize, oh, that's against the rules here anyway. You can't take a test for somebody else. But they got the point is that if you don't reproduce, then, you know, the, I remember Dawson Trotman, the founder of the Navigators said that the primary result of a Christian is another Christian. And, and how many people actually have done that? And you'd be, you know, I think we'd be very surprised if we found out. Now, it, I think that a lot of people think, well, that means I actually led somebody to Christ intentionally. Whereas oftentimes people come to Christ because of us and we didn't do that. We just sort of, they kind of got it somehow or god was uh sovereignly gracious but uh, i wanted to uh mention something before we get uh before we end the podcast and that is i remember a story i remember back when i was like 34 35 years old and i was a pastor of this church and it was a pretty large church at that time uh for in those days and i remember uh there was a <clears throat> that my family had my mother and my both my sons and my wife that we'd all bought tickets to this little uh the cubs had a the chicago cubs had a farm team in this town where we were ministering and we said you know we're going to have an afternoon at the ballpark so they all went to the ball i said i got a meeting you go you go ahead to the ballpark and i'll meet you there all right, so I have this meeting. These four people come in, and two of them, they aren't these four people. They're they're two and two. They're not talking to each other. They're on different sides of this issue, and I'm trying to resolve this conflict in the church, where these people were very angry with each other, and I and they were talking, and I was trying to negotiate with them, and and I was looking at my clock, my watch, and and an hour went by. And then two hours went by and three hours went by and four hours went by. And by now the game is just about over five hours. I sat with those people and I drove home. And by that time, my family had returned and I had spent five hours with those men. And, you know, they didn't really like each other after the meeting either. And they didn't solve the problem. And it was that day that I decided, you know, uh, you know, who's going to be around me and take care of me when I'm dying? It's not going to be those four guys. They don't care. It's my family. So I just want you to remember that story. 
when you get in a meeting or you think something's really important and you don't come through for your family, just know that, take it from a, a, an old guy. I should have chosen the family that day. Okay. Well, that was a punch in my face. And I, um, man, Bill, that is, it is such a, a true reminder. And again, we just have so many single staff and Bivo guys that feel like that deacons meeting that, that person that, that called me tonight that has a crisis again, they always have a crisis. Yeah. Like that's the person that we need to spend that moment with. And my wife has challenged me not to come home on my cell phone. You know, don't pick up my yeah. daughter when I'm talking on the phone. And, and I'm very convicted about it because it's convenient, right? I'm, oh, let me finish up this call. Hi, honey. I'm glad you're there. And she's like, I don't like it. And, and I really want you to stop. And so I'll sit around the corner for five minutes in, in that call, you know, hey, I'm home. I need to, you know, be respectful. Um, but I really think about that for that same exact reason. Like, like yeah. they're the first priority. If I'm missing and messing this up, and then we're not going to do it. In fact, Scott was going to be on this recording today. We'll, we'll air this a little bit later, but you know, that's what he's doing. You no, know, good he's for with, him. He's with his family. He's doing the right thing and modeling this out. So su super proud to work with him and, and call him a friend and all of us on the discipleship team are. And um, um, let me just, um, I, I think that's a good place to, to land it. Let me ask you just a couple of quick questions. We'll do like a, a little bit of a short lightning round. Um, okay. So I think you just answered, if you could have a do over, what would it be? But would you answer it any differently than that story? Uh, no, there's, there's other things you wish you would have done, but, but, uh, no, it's not, not important as that. Yeah. That one's, that one's pretty up there. I could see where that would be the answer. So, um, if you could share, um, um, one message, uh, with the world and one sentence, what would it be? Hmm. Follow Jesus and he'll teach you everything you'll ever need to know. There you go. Price of admission paid right there. So that's, that's going quote, that's going viral right now. Everybody's going to Canva and they're going to put it on their, on their church pages <laughs> um, and, and go for it. Um, Bill, we know you're a busy guy and we just appreciate you investing in our tribe. So thank you so much um, for being on our broadcast today, taking time out to invest in our people. Billhall.com is a great way to get in touch with you. Um, but I do want to give you one more final word. If there's anything that people can get in touch with you or anything you'd like to say. Yeah. Uh, I think billhall.substack.com, you know, the weekly column. And uh, from there, you can you can get me at, on the website as well. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you again. And a plethora of books to go buy after this recording today. And uh, reach out to your local uh, discipleship consultant if you need help with that. We'd be happy to resource you with some of Bill's books. Uh, Lana Meldon, thank you for show producing today. She makes all of these happen for us that we can make this broadcast happen. So thank you for that. And of course, thank you to the cooperative program that you're generous giving as Southern Baptist. Thank uh, you, Lottie Moon. Yes, thank you, Lottie. We've never paid her off, but we're, we're yeah. trying, right? We're trying. And uh, you make this possible so that we can do these things and, and do those. So um, uh, with that, we just want to encourage you to be a disciple maker and then be involved in a learning community um, you know, one more shout out to Kenny Sexton, you know, like he, he's just, he's part of your Bonhoeffer group. He does those things. He's a person that can, you can reach out to if you want to learn more about yeah, Bill. Jim Thomas as well, uh, in, uh, at first Baptist Fayetteville. 
Yeah, and Jim, we had on the broadcast um, uh, last year, I think. And, uh, and my so, condolences, yes. <laughs> it was we, we had off the chart ratings. That's yeah, what I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. And uh, and so those guys are just awesome. If you're looking to to dive deeper into what discipleship means, this is the group that we recommend for you to get involved with and do that. So, um, thank you for being part of our broadcast today, and y'all have a great day. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-making.